Good morning. Good morning. I thank everyone for being with us to, to worship God this morning and to study His Word and just to fellowship with one another. It's been a pretty good morning so far, but i got to say, not as good as yesterday morning. Uh, for those of you who were there, yesterday we had some, some great and some awesome fellowship and some pretty good food, if I do say so myself. Uh, we even had a handful of guests from the Bumpus Mills Church, so it was a real joy to talk to Phil and some of those guys that were with him. And uh, I'm hopeful that this was just the first of many uh, shared sort of cooperative events that we can do uh, with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, with, with each other and also just in the, the Stewart County or the Dover community as a whole. So I look forward to that and, and many of the events that we have going on over the next couple of weeks. Um, tonight or Wednesday, we'll have the, the February calendar printed off and available back there just like we did January. And uh, if you have a smartphone, of course, you get all the latest and greatest updates as we add events and things like that. But our focus this morning, as we move towards our lesson, is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And speaking of smartphones, I want to take a minute and just encourage you, and again, I'll say this is my opinion, encourage you to bring a physical Bible to corporate worship settings. Um, if you don't have one, you know, we have some scattered in the pews. If we need more in the pews, we have plenty in the back. We have no shortage of Bibles. Um, I'm a pretty digital guy, typically. I like to make notes in my tablet and bookmark things. But uh, I find in the corporate worship setting that the Bible app on the phone, at least for me, is a little distracting. Um, my, I don't know about you, but my phone tends to want me to do a lot of things that are not the Bible app when I'm on it. And so, like I said, I encourage everyone, if you have one, uh, to bring a physical Bible. And just a special message for those of you who enjoy looking like you're using the Bible app, you're not fooling anybody. So nobody is scrolling that quickly through the Bible, so it's a little bit of a giveaway. Just, just thought I'd let you know. Anyway, that's enough of my soapbox on devices and worship. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in chapter 5 that Paul uses this expression, the ministry of reconciliation. And we find that at uh, 518, down in verse 18. But we're going to look at uh, about 16 through 21-ish. And so we'll go ahead and start by reading just a portion of our text from 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I mentioned our focus this morning is going to be talking about what he means by this phrase, the, the ministry of reconciliation. But he starts back a little bit here in verse 16. And what he's kind of saying from these first couple, first couple verses is that to, to even get to the ministry of reconciliation, first we kind of have to understand what reconciliation means. And the first step to really understanding reconciliation is actually understanding that we have done wrong. To be reconciled literally means to, to restore a relationship, to make things compatible with one another. The, the literal word the Bible uses here is a compound word. and It means to, to change from one position to be made like another. And so I think about it in the context of salvation. We, we were lost, but we can be reconciled with God. But of course, that first means recognizing that we are, in fact, lost. I'm sure many of you have heard the expression that the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Similarly, 
in survival or wilderness training, if you're on one of these like great multi-day or multi-week hikes, when you start getting off of the main path, you can run into problems. But one of the biggest keys to survival, if you get off the trail or you get lost, is, is actually recognizing that you're lost. One of, the, one of the keys to survival is actually recognizing in a timely manner that you are lost, that you're no longer on the map, that, that you're not where you thought you were. Because if you know you're lost, then you can seek help. You can do things like prepare a shelter in case it's going to rain. You can try to communicate with somebody if it's getting dark. But if you think you are on a path to safety when you are actually lost, you are going to have some serious problems. Because then you don't prepare shelter. Then you don't communicate or make contact with anybody. And before long, your options become very limited, to say the least. And so the first step in our ministry of reconciliation is actually first realizing our fallen state. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. First John uses some harsher language. He says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. According to 1 John, we lie to ourselves if we don't recognize that we at some point or another are or were lost. And they say one of the worst people you can lie to is yourself. So we first need to recognize that we have done wrong, that, that we ourselves need or maybe at some point in our past have needed reconciliation. Then once we become saved, once we begin walking in the light as he is in the light, as 1 John says, we also... I want to kind of point out that we need to remember where we came from in a little bit, so to speak. We want to be changed and we want to be transformed. But far too often, I see Christians, people who were ourselves once in the world, people who once walked according to the flesh, as Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5. We get out of our own fallen state. And then we immediately become people who just simply cannot believe that the world is still sinful. We, we find salvation for ourselves. We get out of the darkness for ourselves. But we turn right around and we see that the world or those outside of fellowship with Christ is full of darkness. And we're saying like, wait a second. Where did this come from? I, I can't believe the world is like this. To put it another way, as Christians, we should not be surprised when we look out into the world and we find sin. Because the world is full of people, and as we just talked about, all of us have sinned. Which means the world is full of people just like you and I who actually just haven't encountered God yet. And so as Christians, we ought not to be surprised when we look out into the world and we, we see people sinning or we see people disobeying God. It's, it's amazing to me that I hear things from Christians on a regular basis, things like, Can you believe people are doing this or that now? Can you believe the kind of things that are going on out there in the world today? Yes, actually, I completely, 100% can. Because if you look at things like Romans or you look at things like 1 Corinthians, Paul writes whole letters to churches addressing these exact same behaviors thousands of years ago. It's in the Bible. The Bible is full of prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy, so I tend to believe it. And the Bible tells us as Christians, it warns us that the world is going to be full of sin. Yet somehow... It's very popular among people of faith nowadays to act completely and totally shocked when the world is just as sinful as, remember, as we once were. 
And so we would be wise, I think, to remember that we were once lost and needed God. And I'm sure to something like that you would say, well, I, I might have been caught up in this or that sin or, or this or that temptation, but I didn't mess up with any of that stuff that's going on nowadays. That's a totally different thing. Well, for starters, I want to make one thing clear. The Bible distinguishes two states, fallen and saved. That's it. Sometimes we like to think, well, I wasn't quite as fallen as everybody else. No. If it makes you sleep better at night, sure, but it's, you're not going to find that in the Bible. I've heard Christians that sound an awful lot like the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, even like this tax collector. And of course, what the other man from that passage say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one of these did Jesus praise? Which one of these do we often sound like? When Paul begins his, his thought here in our text in 2 Corinthians 5, he begins with, from now on, therefore from now on. Meaning, remember you used to do this, but not anymore. We, he says, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Meaning we used to see the world, and yes, even Christ himself, the, the, the man most unlike the rest of the world, we used to see the world in a fleshly manner. We used to regard it according to the ways of the world. We used to live our life the way the world lives its life. We used to have the priorities that the world has. We used to value things the world values. We used to hold the material over the spiritual. We used to seek ourselves over the kingdom. We used to regard this world this way, but no longer. He's telling us how to view things. But I believe he's also warning us not to suddenly develop short-term memory loss once we find salvation. If you've ever lived by yourself, have you ever come home and been mad that the house is a mess? I remember one time we went on vacation. This was pretty early on. We just moved to Tennessee, and we'd gone back home to visit some family. And, and I remember walking through the house with our luggage, looking around like, what is this pigsty? Who did this? Oh, yeah, wait. I did that. <laughs> Sometimes we leave the mess that is in the world, and we turn around and say, who? I can't believe people are like that. Yeah, well, it turns out that mess that we were contributing to up until five minutes ago is still there. It's still sinful. The world is still the world. If we have any hope of reconciling the world, we need to stop being surprised by the sinful nature of it. But that is not to say we get complacent. We'll talk about that later, but we... We should stop being surprised. And in his first letter to the same church, in his first letter to the Corinthians, in 5, 12, and 13, Paul says, What business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among yourselves. I'm afraid many of us would much, much rather judge the world for its fallen state than purge the evil from within ourselves. Now I'm just going to warn you, this is going to get a little bit uncomfortable, but I think we'll make it. We love talking about the sin that we are not dealing with. Have you ever noticed that? If you ever evaluate sort of the array of sermons and lessons that I see taught in churches across, across this, sort of this area in the churches I've been to, 
I'll just throw a couple numbers out at you. Just going by the numbers, 5% of people at some point in their life will identify as LGBT. But roughly half, 45% of couples, will at some point deal with infidelity in their marriage. But do you know what the majority of sermons and teaching I hear on sexual immorality address? Do you know what the majority of conversations I have about sexual morality with Christians seem to focus on? It's rarely the sin and temptation that we deal with. It's rarely the sin and temptation that has affected our lives and our households and our families. We say things like, I just can't believe how out of control homosexuality is today. And you know what? I'll grant you that. It's happening. I'm not going to deny it. But they say things like, it's in our TV, it's in our schools, and you just can't get away from it. But you know what battle we've stopped fighting? The one that's tearing apart literally, statistically, half of our families. Four out of ten households will be affected by things like pornography, lust, adultery. These are big words, these are hard concepts. But we love to sit back and talk about the sins the world is dealing with. Talking about our own problems is a lot more uncomfortable, as we can tell. But it is infinitely more productive. In order to have reconciliation, we need to stop expecting the world to behave as Christians do. Because by its very nature and its very definition, the church is different. It is called out from those in the world. We, we've talked about this for weeks on end, not all that long ago. But if, if the rest of the world was already like those in fellowship with God, then we would not need to have the mission that we have. Reconciliation means recognizing that I was wrong and I need to change. But just because I've figured it out, it doesn't mean the rest of the sin in the world is suddenly going to go away. It means we need to stop expecting the world to behave according to Christian standards. It means we need to stop judging those that are in the world. And I would even say, stop condemning them, but we'll look at a scripture for why I use that terminology in just a moment. But I do want us to recognize that nobody has ever been condemned into a relationship with Jesus. But you can certainly love somebody into a relationship with Jesus as any parent knows, a loving relationship is not one devoid of discipline or devoid of uncomfortable conversations or chastising. But a loving relationship can not only be discipline and chastising. I said I would have a text to explain what I meant about condemnation. Consider the example of the woman caught in adultery from John 8. Adultery, certainly in their day and age, one of the most uncomfortable, heinous crimes someone could commit besides perhaps murder. But the scribes and the Pharisees brought Jesus a woman, and they said, Teacher, this woman has caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? He said, Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And you know what he says in verse 11? Verse 11 of John chapter 8. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. That is an example of the ministry of reconciliation. Church, we have spent so much of our time and our energy trying to govern the world's behavior while I guess hoping by some divine accident they just stumble into salvation along the way. 
when we should be active, active in bringing people the message of salvation and then letting the word of God govern their behavior. Because that is a ministry of reconciliation. How many times, just in the last few months, have we looked at the, the passage on the Great Commission? Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 20, Mark 16, 16. What does it say? Go into all the world, telling them how they ought to live, condemning the way we're blind and lost, and angrily protesting everything you don't agree with. Oh, wait. That's not what it says at all. It says that we ought to be going and making disciples. I say all this because it would be super easy for me to get up here every week and join the massive and growing crowd of people who want to talk about all the ridiculous, godless heresies that we certainly understand and know the world is involved in. It'd be really easy. But making disciples is really hard. It is. Disciple simply seems to make somebody a student. We've got teachers. How hard is it to make somebody a student of anything? How much harder is it to make somebody a student of God's word? It's hard. Standing over here and condemning the wayward sin of people way over there is really, really easy. But making disciples is hard. And I fear that that's why so many Christians and entire churches have chosen to do one at the complete exclusion of the other. But making disciples is what we're called to do. It's the mission and the ministry we are called to. Look back at our, our focus text, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God is bringing about salvation for the world, and he has left it to us to tell other people about it, which is why it is so immensely important that we get it right in verse 19, he goes on to say that that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That message of reconciliation is their salvation. When done correctly, our mission and our ministry results in the salvation of those who are lost. God has entrusted us with this message and with this ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because God reconciles us to him. We are called to reconcile the world, to, to bring them into our fold, to bring them to us, because God reconciles his flock to him. God has a plan. God, God has planned for the forgiveness of our sins when we are obedient to him. In the Gospel of John, John 1.29, when John sees Jesus coming toward him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. It is so important that as Christians, we can reconcile with the world because it is through us that people can know Christ. It is only through Jesus that those who are lost will have their sins forgiven. 
Our objective should not simply be to make them aware that they are sinning, though many times we want to stop there, but to actually help them fix their fallen state by bringing them into a healing and reconciling relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it is God who sought us first. It is Christ who first loved us. What does Romans 5.8 say? While we were still sinners. So who are we to look at those sinning and say, hmm. I, I know that Christ died for me when I was still sinning, but you know what? I just don't know what I can do about those who are still sinning. I just don't think I can handle it. I just don't think I could love them. I just don't think... There's, I understand that we cannot condone sin. We cannot accept it. In the church, certainly, we cannot tolerate it. But there is a lot of middle ground between tolerating and completely rejecting anyone that we see in sin. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners. Just a, just a little bit later in 5.10, he says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. There's that word again. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Through Christ, we have propitiation of sins. Repayment. 1 John 2.2 adds that he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That is our mission. Because God relies on us to bring this message of forgiveness of sins to other people. It's that mission of, of making disciples. And, and making disciples means we need to actually be, have a relationship with other people. It means we actually need to be able to get closer to other people. It means doing more than standing over here and saying, They are a sinner and I want nothing to do with them. It means getting to know them. It means... Caring about them and for them. It means getting to understand them so that they can understand the power that God can have in their life. You can't start a conversation about the love and power that God can have in somebody's life through Jesus Christ when you start that conversation with your wrong or your sinning. You can't have a conversation about love that begins with your wrong. If you don't believe me, ask somebody who's married. How does that go? But so many times when we want to start the conversation with somebody and we want them to understand who God is, we try and start that conversation with your wrong, your sinning, and if you don't change, you're going to hell. And I wonder what our success rate is with that. If our goal is to feel like we've accomplished something and to stand over here and feel like, well, I really let that person know how they stand, well, congratulations, you'll do it every time. But if your goal is to make disciples, I would question that methodology. I would question it, not only because I don't think it works, because it's not what Jesus did. He certainly didn't tolerate sin, and he certainly had his moments where he condemned sin. He did not shy away from condemning sin. But you can never start a conversation about the love and the power of God to change somebody's life by starting that conversation with you are wrong, you are sinning, and you're going to hell. 
Because our goal is not for people to know how wrong we think they are or even how wrong they actually are. Our goal is to bring people to God. Our goal is to win souls. We've been focusing, and I've told you we're going to focus on this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. But if you back up just a bit to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, when Paul kind of starts this conversation about reconciliation and salvation and, and this whole message and ministry of the gospel, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. That is the goal of all of this is to convince people and allow them to see the power that God can have in their life. Because if, if he could take me and use me, if he could take us in our fallen state, in our wayward state, in our sinful state, and he can reconcile us and he can use us and he can even save us, then who are we to say that there are those that is not good enough for? Who are we to limit the power of God? God has called us to be a part of of his ministry of reconciliation for the entire world. Lastly, in this passage, he also calls us to be reconciled with one another. And there's a lot I want to say about that, and that, that will really be our focus tonight when we come back. We'll talk about what reconciliation means in the context of the church and what it means to be reconciled with one another. But as we close this morning, I want you to think about I want you to think about the mission that God has entrusted to us. The goal of our work, the goal of our fellowship together, the whole point of why we do anything. The responsibility for those of us who are Christians to bring the world into a saving relationship with God. I've been mostly addressing Christians this morning, but there is a message of reconciliation from those who are lost. If you've been on the outside, if you have been a wayward sinner, if you have been somebody that somebody has said, you are not good enough for the message of God, then I have some powerful, amazing news. The invitation is for anybody, for any of those who have any need. If there's something we can do for you, if we'd love to help you, won't you come at this time while we stand and while we sing?